This podcast is not safe for work and will feature movie spoilers. It will feature scenes described of a graphic nature. It will contain language which most listeners may find offensive. Welcome to the podcast Under the Stairs. Hi everyone and welcome to the podcast Under the Stairs. This is your Sunday 88 Films Slasher Classic Series of Reviews. I'm your host Duncan McLeish. Welcome to the show. On this episode we are looking at disc number 27. Well technically we're not looking at disc number 27 which has since become out of print and discontinued by the label. So we'll be looking at my other Blu-ray copy of this movie, which is in a completely different region. Um, we're looking at Just Before Dawn by Jeff Lieberman from 1981, the year that I was birthed into this great plane of existence. So yeah, I don't own a copy of this movie released by 88 Films, and like I explained on yesterday's episode, um, I think this movie is okay, and we'll get into my reasons behind it. Not enough that I would buy from a scalper who is selling this for, I think the average price is between 35 and £40 pounds, uh, for this online, for the numbered one for 88 films, which to me is like highway fucking robbery. And I'm not, I wouldn't even pay that for one of the ones I really liked. I just think that's insane. But there's nothing I can do about it. So my collection will always be minus disc number 27, which is a immortal wound to my soul but I think I'll get over it. Uh, so yeah that's what we're going to be discussing after the first break. Now this is your last episode of the week, it's been a four episode week. We kicked off way back on Monday with our review of Phantasm 2 as part of the Russian Roulette franchise retro. It was joined by Bo Ranstall, it was a ton of fun, go and check it out if you haven't yet. On Thursday we did Movie Club, we closed out our fourth and final episode looking at Hammer Horror. Uh, that was also a lot of fun. Participation a bit low, but to be honest, um, the way we're all living our lives just now, that does not fucking surprise me at all. Um, we will be announcing next Thursday what the next four run will be. And yeah, it will be fun to see how that lands. Um, and if you get as much enjoyment out of it, as I have picking the four movies we're going to cover. So that'll be announced this coming Thursday, but Thursday just passed there, that's what you got, and the final of the Hammer movies. Yesterday, you guys selected it, so it was reviewed. We did The Changeling. It was a listener choice episode from a series of Second Sight special edition Blu-rays I owned. You had three choices, you settled on The Changeling, a mighty fine movie, nonetheless. And that was your episode yesterday. Today, obviously, you're getting a bit of just before dawn. Tomorrow you're getting a very special episode which will be a three run series in May. I'm calling this series Mayday, Mayday. Um, These are movies about extreme isolation and paranoia and it would not be about extreme isolation and paranoia without kicking off with the granddaddy of them all a little bit of The Thing. John Carpenter's The Thing, full movie review coming this Monday. Get 
yourself ready. Really looking forward to breaking out that remaster that Arrow put out, uh, which I've still watched. Still watched the Arrow version, so very excited about that. And then moving on into the week, uh, Thursday will be the announcement for Movie Club. Saturday will be another Listener Choice episode. And then Sunday, 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 we do our Arrow video assortment. And that is our week done, ladies and gents. Right, over on the Teapots Collective, what you have to look forward to next week is the next instalment of Chronicle. And we will be looking at The Wicker Man as part of our run on British folk horror. So The Wicker Man will be next week on the Teapots Collective. Okie dokie, ladies and gents, let's take a break. You're going to hear promos for shows that I love. You're going to hear the trailer for Just Before Dawn. When I return, I'll be discussing that movie right after this. Want to learn more about horror directors? With a lighthearted look at three of their movies, meet fearless podcaster Gore Blimey. I've been unsettled by bats in the past and startled by parrots, and I've even been known to jump at the odd cockatoo. Discover horror films that are classics, and others, too. There's a topless aerobics massacre, an exploding rock singer, cannibals, nude martial arts, a deep fried prostitute. But it's not all silliness. You'll get proper movie breakdowns, opinion, and background information, too. Yep, in the 80s and 90s, Jeff Stryker was huge in gay porn. In every sense. So if you're a horror film fan, come and check out the Trilogy of Terror podcast at strangeanddeadly.com or find it on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or on your podcatcher. One of those people that has a certain charisma and a certain style, and I'm just hoping one day he'll rub off on me. The Trilogy of Terror podcast, where we try three times harder to give you the willies. Run for your life. The nightmare has begun. It will find you in the hour when dream and reality merge. The last desperate moment of darkness. Oi, who is it? Just before dawn. They were warned. At least tell me where you're going, so that when you don't come back, I'll know how to fill out the report. But they did not understand the warning. They came to the mountain for adventure and escape. What they found was a trial which only the strongest could survive. How could they know that beneath the awesome beauty of nature lay violence, danger, and death? You see all the blood? How could they know the heat of their bodies was the magnet that would draw the terror to them. No more devils. No more. No more nothing out there. Just God's little creature. You saw them kids? I see them. Don't like I see your kids. I've got a good mind to just let them have their due. Just before dawn comes horror. Just before dawn comes death. Rated R. And welcome back. You've just heard the trailer for Just Before Dawn. This was disc number 27, 
in the Tate Farms Slasher Classic Collection. Like I said in the intro though, this is out of print. So yeah, if you have a copy of it, then you're sitting on a little bit of a gold mine just now. If you don't have a copy of it, you will have to buy it elsewhere. Hopefully you have a international player, and if so, do that. Uh, buy it from somewhere else. Um, so I can't really give you much of the details about anything, to be honest, on this one from the disc. Because I don't have the disc, so I don't know what was featured on it. What I can tell you is that the synopsis for the movie, um, as listed on the Amazon copy of this is just before dawn beloved cult filmmaker Jeff Lieberman already horrified audiences across the world with his killer worm epic Squirm from 1976 but he arguably outdid himself with just before dawn in 1981 one of the most popular slasher classics to ever tear up the inside of a grindhouse movie theatre in this powerful bout of plasma-spilling cinema, a group of teenage vacationers opt for an ill-advised hike around the beautiful National Forest of Oregon. But Lieberman is quick to show that backwood baddies do not just exist in the American South. They can also be found preying on campers in the supposedly more liberal and safe West Coast too. With machete massacres galore, mass maniacs on the prowl and plenty of skinny dipping and flesh ripping to enjoy, Just Before Dawn is a horror masterpiece that is finally available in the UK, fully remastered in HD, and it stars George Kennedy of The Naked Gun, Chris Lemon of Wishmaster, AT Films is proud to present one of the most sublime and stylish slice and dice creepers ever concocted. Um, the details for the disc were it was released in aspect ratio 16 to 9 and 1781. Um, yeah, English language, English subtitles, and that's really all we can see about that. So let's kick into my thoughts. Now, I'm kind of the weird thing about just before dawn is that. When I speak about it, I think people instantly feel that I hate the movie and I don't hate it. Uh, trust me, having delved into so many obscure slasher movies as part of this collection, and movies which 88 Films keep telling me are slasher movies, that 88 Films, you are wrong, they are not. Um, just Before Dawn, I think, holds a much more special place to certain film enthusiasts than it does for me. I came at this one much later on in my life. I would have been in my 20s when I saw this, I think, for the first time. Um, and what a lot of people have in terms of fondness and nostalgia to an extent, or maybe they genuinely do feel it, it works on many levels, I kind of feel as a bit tawdry, a bit plodding, um, and a bit light, if I'm honest, on the kills. Like, and overall, there's nowhere near as many deaths in this movie as you might think. And I, actually, as I remember, like, every time I sit down to watch this movie, I'm surprised by how little death there actually is. Um, I mean, the group of people that ultimately end up on the hill aren't many anyway. Um, and the kind of superficial characters in the background, um, there aren't many of them either. For the killing, and even we'll get to this later on. But yeah, when you compare it to movies that are slasher movies, which have kind of similar settings that are released in or around this time, 
something like uh, Friday the 13th or The Burning, um, it's surprisingly light on the kills. What this movie does have going for it is a great cast. Um, and I want to kind of start talking about the positives for the movie first and then kind of lean more into some of my more negative criticisms about it overall. Um, George Kennedy's great in this movie. It's always interesting seeing him pop up and other things. I mean, this is a guy that did a ton of genre stuff before The Naked Gun, but sadly I will always remember him as the dude from The Naked Gun. Um, I don't know. I don't know why. Uh, but that's just burned into my brain now. Probably speaks more about me than anyone else. Uh, Greg Henry's in this. A very young Greg Henry. I love Greg Henry. I think his stuff specifically with the Palma is the tits. And he was doing a lot of stuff with the Palma about this time. So it's great seeing him in here. Uh, Deborah Benson as Constance or Connie is fucking brilliant as well. She's a great actress and her kind of levelling up to the realm of Final Girl is is a transformation I really enjoy, albeit I do find the, the ultimate end of what she does to become the kind of Final Girl a bit goofy and a bit hokey, and once again, we'll swing into that. So it's got a great cast. Cinematography, I mean, say what you will about Lieberman sometimes cutting corners and his production costs, which is something you will hear people say with Squirm, didn't have a big budget for that. Uh, Just Before Dawn, didn't have a big budget with that. Blue Sunshine, didn't have a big budget with that. Or even one one of his later day films, like uh, Satan's Little Helper, a movie that I adore, um, doesn't have a big budget with that. He's a really interesting filmmaker in terms of his visual eye. The cinematography works really well here. It kind of, kind of, straddles the guerrilla style of filmmaking. He's kind of, uh, almost amateurish wide shots from the party and then really well kind of close-up shots as well. I think he, he handles that in a way which, you know, you, this guy's a talent for, for sure, 100% a talent. He's maybe a bit better than the subject matter that at times he's filming, but he gives it his all and I, I really appreciate that. The score for the movie is actually not bad as well and the kind of special effects, death effects sort of stuff, whilst there's not a lot of that, is once again surprisingly well handled. So I'm saying the cinematography's good, I'm saying that the acting's good, I'm saying that the score's good, and I'm saying that for the most part the practical effects are good. I know what you're thinking to yourself, Duncan, that's that's you, clean sweep, you must love this movie. What I don't like about the movie, and it's the thing that drags it down, is... I feel that the plot is very plodding. I feel that we spend far too much time with these friends, of which I could care less about most of them. Um, And the kind of reveal of who the killers are and how they have been birthed is a bit kind of eye-rolling. I mean, 88 films will have you believe that Jeff Lieberman is making some very clever statement here about um, liberal America still having what, for all intents and purposes, are inbred hit killers. And I don't think Jeff Lieberman was doing that. I think he just decided to shoot in Oregon. I don't think there's a, you know, like some master plan, some strategy to turn, like, the, you know 
kind of the left on the right and the right. I, I don't think that for one fucking second. So well done, 88 Films, for trying to put a spin on something, but you're not right. Um, I think it's probably he's been afforded the opportunity to shoot a movie here, so he's just set the movie here. I think if he'd been told just before Dawn needed to be shot in the south, it would have shot in the fucking south. I don't think he's like, that's the, the this is the, the line that I die on when it comes to making this movie. It starts off really interesting with the, you know, the opening death, and then we're introduced to our characters and, you know, George Kennedy, for all intents and purposes, being this movie's far more sane Crazy Ralph. Um, responsible Ralph, that's what we'll call him. Um, and then, you know, our characters go into the woods, you know, shrugging off all responsibility and all the warnings all along, uh, and then being picked off by what in terms of a reveal I really enjoy this idea of how do they how does a killer get around to all these different places well it's twins kind of dig that um, but then you spend what feels like an eternity with these characters with nothing happening um, you know what I mean oh right they're interacting oh this guy's playing a joke on someone oh this guy's done this oh there's you know there's a lot of time before we start building up the creep. And when we build up the creep, that's where the movie shines. The stuff with the the killer going into the water during the skinny dipping scene is fucking great. I love that. I would have loved more of that. I would have loved more of these guys, these simpletons, these fucking inbred hick twins really going full fuckery in this movie. I think there's plenty of scope to do that. You just don't get it. So as a result, we get a build up a kind of, like a fake out for the audience, and then we have like 15, 20 minutes before one of them resurfaces again, that to me just feels like the pacing's all off. Now it's not a long movie, and as a result of that, I feel we could be getting a lot more of it. The kills happen towards the end, almost in a succession, where we, you know, like very, very quickly for the build up to the end, and I just don't think that's handled as well. Once again, not to kind of constantly refer back to other movies of a similar time period but if you look at the pacing of the kills on Friday the 13th or even the burning they're handled really well they know exactly when to happen and they happen almost like metronome like on certain beats that I think make those movies feel very breezy to watch I just feel that just before dawn kind of takes its foot off the pedal in a couple of bits and has me spending time with some characters that I don't necessarily like which is a shame because once again the acting's good the cinematography's interesting um, I just kind of feel we, we lose that just a bit there's obviously the conceit here that all slasher movies seem to have where all the locals don't know about the inbred killer children like you know no one knows about this uh, like George Kennedy's just in the road and he doesn't know about this I always find that a bit kind of like it's lazy it's lazy writing in my opinion um, when the kills start happening I think they are interesting um, I like the idea of the bridge scene I don't think it's particularly great in here the church death scene is fucking brilliant so um, when I, can, I forget me is it Megan or whoever it is um, or Mary whoever it is Um you know, when she's being chased down in the church and the reveal of the two killers comes out, I think that's really fucking cool. It's also quite menacing. Um, the noise that the killers make gets, like, they make in the movie is wholly irritating. 
Um, I don't like that aspect about it, if I'm honest. And then the bit that everyone talks about, this end kill, which on paper is really, really cool. And I imagine in 1981, that's a total fuck yeah moment. I imagine in a VHS rental, it's a fuck yeah moment. But the practicalities of it, and I know, Duncan, it's a slasher fucking horror movie and you need to check that at the door. It just makes zero fucking sense. Makes zero sense why, one, she would do that in the first place, two, why it would happen, three, why you would not bite down on her arm, four, how her hand gets in the fucking throat to begin with. It just, for me, it always feels as a bit jarring, like, oh, that's how we're finishing the movie. All right. Um, and never the kind of fuck yeah moment that everyone else sees. And that's a shame because on paper, I imagine if I read that in a script, I'd be like, it's <laughs> a really cool ending to a movie. And on the screen, I just don't think it's handled all that well. But the transformation of Connie or Constance as a character is fucking great to watch. I think she's a great um, template of what a final girl should be. Very vulnerable right to the very end when she puts on her makeup or war paint, essentially, and um, faces down this guy with no fear, um, while her boyfriend, who should protect her, is lying on the ground with a with a stab wound to the stomach. So I, 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 I like that aspect. I think the final death is a bit goofy, if I'm honest. And once again, it, it, you know, that's the bit that everyone, I think, leans into, is this great example of how this movie's awesome, and I just find that a bit too goofy for my liking. So I think I've articulated that okay. I don't know if I have. I don't know if I ever will be able to. This is just one of these movies where there is a majority of people out there that really like it and me in the minority who doesn't hate it but just thinks it's average. Um, And that's kind of where I land with Just Before Dawn. Now in the pantheon of slasher classic releases, this is top tier from 88 films for sure. But we've had seldom a movie go above a four. Um, in this series and like just before Dawn is not getting that at the most I could give it and from this watch I was appreciating more of the cinematography than I had in the past so the Jeff Lieberman eye was certainly there the most I can give this movie is a 3.5 out of 5 and I think that's fair I really do think that's fair I don't think it's amongst the best slasher movies ever made interestingly enough I was recording um, the live draw for the Adjudicators for the Teapot's Top 10 series that's coming out this year and uh, our buddy Lee Russell from They Must Be Destroyed on Site was telling me, you know, this is in his top 3 slashers of all time. I don't think this is in my top 20 um, although in saying that, that, to think of 20 slasher movies that I really like maybe I struggle at this moment, but I don't think I would I think I could find 20 slashers that I prefer above just before dawn, and once again that's not saying that I dislike it 3.5 is a decent grade. It's just maybe not beheld in my eyes the same way it is amongst the rest of uh, the, the genre cinephiles out there. It's an average movie for me that is benefited by a really good eye and some good cast, but a story which feels a bit plodding and an ending which I find kind of silly. And that's all I have to say about that. Right, I'm going to take my final break. When I come back, I will be announcing to you what the next movie will be doing in three weeks' time for the Slasher Classic Collection and closing out the show right after this. You're listening to the podcast Under the Stairs. 
you've been listening to the podcast Under the Stairs. This has been your Sunday 88 Films Slasher Classic Collection series of reviews looking at the now out of print disc number 27 just before dawn. In three weeks' time, we'll turn our attention to disc number 28 in the collection, a little movie which I've never seen before called Happy Hell Night. According to the 88 Films website, it says, Slasher cinema is all too often to be seen as a mainstay of the 1980s, but the fact is that, come the turn of the new decade, plenty of fresh teen killer titles were being produced, and few are more ferocious than Happy Hell Night. One of the trend-scenting terror titles is bridging the gap between the grindhouse excesses of the 80s and the VHS era of the early 90s. Happy Hell Night is a fright flick that has the cinematic quality of a highbrow hack and stab slice and dicer and the fast-paced sex and violence sensibility of a video cassette cut em up. Released in 1992 to appreciative audiences who believed the bloodshed of Friday the 13th's era had long since passed, this is a claustrophobic tale of supernatural stabbings in an old deserted asylum. And when some youngsters begin bothering this dusty place of the past, they are understandably upset to find out that it houses a hysterical lunatic that does not intend to retire his limb-lopping ambitions anytime soon. Really seen in a quality deserving of its colourful carnage and featuring the thespian talents of Sam Rockwell from Moon and Iron Man 2, Happy Hell Night has finally been unleashed in the UK from 88 Films in a plasma-perfect HD restoration. The special features are high-definition transfer from the original negative, uncompressed LPCM audio, optional English subtitles, audio commentary by genre experts Nathaniel Thompson and Tim Greer from mondodigital.com, the Kappa Sig Girl, an interview with Georgia Fox, Murder Music, an interview with composer Neenan Bach, the trailer, and the reversible sleeve with the alternative UK Frat Fright VHS cover. The technical specs are it's region locked to region B, the picture format is HD1781, the audio format is LPCM stereo, the language is English, certification 18 and the runtime is 87 minutes, so that's just under an hour and a half. Now that's what we'll be looking to in but three weeks time. There's a multitude of ways to check out the show, as always wherever you're listening to us right now make sure you hit subscribe, that way you get the shows as and when they drop. Um, and that's important because we put out four episodes a week and if you're not subscribed there's a chance you'll miss one so make sure you're subscribed and while you are subscribing subscribe to that Teapots Collective as well because we're putting out an additional episode of a show that I'm featured on every single week so it's one extra so it's like five episodes of me a week for you out there ladies and gents between those two feeds so subscribe to them both helps me out Check out our website, tpatscast.com. You can buy posters and pins to support the show from tpatscast.bigcartel.com. Our Facebook page is facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash tpatscast. And the page for the Teapots Collective is facebook.com forward slash tpatscast. You can interact with myself and the bars and the twin prongs of social media sexness. Instagram and Twitter both can be followed at tpatscast. Check us out in the Flick Chat app. It's social media for podcasters and listeners to connect. That's right. You can download it free on Android and iOS. Our join code is TPUTSCAST and you can interact through a series of message board posts. It's a lot of fun. Come across and do it. That's Flick Chat. The podcast Under the Stairs will return to you tomorrow, dear listeners, when we drop the first of three planned Mayday, Mayday episodes uh, celebrating isolation and all the terrors that come along with it in horror movies 
this month of May. We were looking at movie number one, arguably my favourite horror movie ever fucking made, and the best way to start off this series, The Thing by John Carpenter. That will be your movie tomorrow. But until then, wherever you are, whatever the time zone is and whatever you're up to in this big bad world, the virus, please take care of yourselves out there. This is Duncan Cleese broadcasting live from under the stairs, and I am signing off.